0: What's going on, everybody? It's that time again. It's the Sooners Illustrated Podcast, episode 63. On this leap day, Thursday, February 29th, 2024. Josh Calloway, Colin Kennedy, final day of February. The calendar shifts to March. That means spring football. That means basketball postseason. That means baseball and softball getting ramped up more and more. Great time of year. Weather gets better. It's wonderful. It's all all good things. We've got a loaded show on Thursday. Brent Venables yesterday did a podcast appearance, did a bunch of injury updates. We're going to break that down a little bit, including one tough blow. We'll break that down some more in just a second. Some recruiting stuff that we want to get into, of course, with Colin here. He's been out on the road hitting different places. We're going to break that down. And then also the night that was for basketball last night, huge win for Jenny B and the women's team. We'll break that down a little bit on the back end. But CK, let's first start with, like I said, Brent Venables. He went on the Oklahoma Breakdown podcast yesterday with Gabe Eichert and Teddy Lehman. And, you know, just that in and of itself is, is newsworthy because we haven't heard from Brent Venables since literally the Alamo. So we're talking two solid months. That game was December 28th. Today is February 29th. Two months and a day since the last time we've heard Brent Venables talk. I mean, in, in a public <laughs> setting. And so he covered a lot of ground in that interview. I recommend everybody go listen to it. I'm sure almost every OU fan has or tuned in on YouTube or whatever. But I did want to get into some of the injury stuff because that was kind of the big newsworthy stuff that came out of what he had to say. Let's first start with Jacob Lacey. So Jacob Lacey, most fans know, last year going into the season dealt with some blood clotting issues. Kind of thought he wasn't going to be available last year, truthfully. I mean, I went through most of the summer last summer from what I was hearing that his season was in jeopardy. He ended up playing and had a nice, pretty nice year. And now he was coming back, which was a big win for OU. The fact they got him and DeJohn Terry both back as their starting defensive tackles. But then it's kind of been kicking up again. He's having these issues again, and he might not be available for this season. Kind of almost a replay of what we went through last summer. I did the the defensive tackle temperature check status report with James on Tuesday, and I kind of glossed over Lacey because I didn't know for sure if he was going to be available or not. I didn't want to really get into it, so I kind of just Went over it, and then sure enough, the next day, Brent Venable says that on the podcast. Jacob Lacy actually tweeted something out this morning, confirming it. So he's not going to be around this season. He's having to medically retire. Colin, obviously, it just sucks. I mean, on a human level yeah. for, for Jacob, but then also for the team level, you're losing somebody who's probably going to be a starting defensive tackle for you this season. How do you kind of absorb all the news uh, there with, with Jacob Lacy? It looks like his career is looks like likely over.
1: Yeah, I don't know that you can absorb it, right? It's a, it's a yeah. tough pill to swallow. and and has nothing to do with being a fan or a, a media member or whatever. It's just like, for the human being, yeah. it sucks. Like, I, this guy has probably dedicated however many years of his life to this sport, this game, and to have it taken away, especially when he kind of beat the odds a year ago. Sure. I think it's a, it's a great point brought up by you. This was not the first time that this had been a thing, and he was able to debunk the scenario and he had a really good year I mean he was a starting defensive tackle at a place like Oklahoma mm-hmm. consistently graded out as if I remember correctly one of the better run defenders and pass rushers on the interior for Oklahoma on PFF grades and regardless I, I think no matter how much stock mm-hmm. you put in player grades or what have you if you just watch no you game it didn't take long to realize Lacey was definitely one of the best defensive tackles they had in the room. And so for him, man, it just, I hate to see it. I I think we all hate to see it for him. I wish him nothing but the best. I've heard not only that he's a really good football player, but I've heard he's just a really good guy. I know a lot Mm -hmm. of people at Oklahoma really like that dude behind the scenes. And you just never want that for someone, especially someone like Lacey. Now I'll say this. It was interesting too, like, hearing about this behind the scenes initially there was a lot of different stuff that was going on i even have a source hit me up and be like look i don't know maybe he tries to transfer somewhere just to kind of be in a less stakes scenario considering where this thing is headed yeah but lacy kind of just even dating back to last year he kept sticking it out and, and going through it trying to play this game and play it at a place like oklahoma and so yeah man i i I hate it for him, but I have no doubt that he's going to land on his feet and succeed in whatever he chooses to do. It, if he decides to like be a coach or something, I, I would bet that he is incredible, given the passion and the de- dedication he's put into this game. Now, on the team front, I know we can get mm. into this a little bit more of a, a, a discussion. This now immediately places a spotlight on your defensive tackles. Now, that's it's nothing new. I'm not breaking any news here and saying sure. – you defensive tackles are facing a lot of pressure. But going into the SEC, like you mentioned, DeJounte Terry and Jacob Lacey were kind of supposed to be your safety blankets. They're known commodities. They're both very good football players. And from there, you're going to be able to sort through your rotation given the fact that you've had a couple of guys leave that room. And at the point of attack in the SEC, the first year of SEC ball, you got to be able to line it up, especially in the middle. Mm -hmm. And OU probably felt like for the first time in a long time, they could really line it up with anybody because of someone like Lacey. So tons of pressure now placed, not just on these defensive tackles for Oklahoma, but the new faces in that room, right? You brought in David Stone with every intention of playing him. Well, I, you don't have any other choice. You know what I mean? And then sure. Jaden Jackson, to me, becomes an even bigger asset. Like We talk so much about them getting him late in that recruitment, swinging a defensive tackle who went from three-star into well inside the top 247. And now he's probably going to be a key piece in the rotation. Fascinating to see what comes of this situation for OU's defensive tackles and who is prepared to step up because – it's big shoes to fill, Josh, as you well know.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it's the the timing of this is funny for us because of you know we just did James and I on Tuesday the defensive tackle stash report and I talked about on Tuesday's show Grayson Halton being this X factor and if he's an option as a rotational piece, probably elevated up from rotational piece now. There's a I would say a decent chance he starts right. I mean, next to John Terry in week one, and certainly David Stone's going to be in that mix, too, just because of what he is, and Jay Jackson as well, like you said. It's going to be interesting to see how it, how it plays out. And uh, Grayson Halton, his – year three for him just became so much more important that he makes that leap um, in the SEC. A lot of eyes on that room, like you said. Not that there already wasn't um, for Todd Bates in year three, but I mean to lose a guy that, again, was going to be a starter for you, almost certainly – is uh, a big blow that you weren't you weren't necessarily expecting. You know, certainly a month ago or, or however long you know, the state's
1: back. So tough, yeah. tough blow. And uh, the last thing I'll say, real quick, to as we transition to the next topic, I think what will fly under the radar the most as it relates to Jacob Lacey is just how much is going to be placed on the shoulders of DeJohn Terry as he returns yeah, to the sure. SEC. I mean, this is a SEC defensive tackle who transferred to Oklahoma was a dominant run defender at points during last season, but now he's going to have to essentially be the guy in that room. Because not only is he experienced a veteran and mm-hmm. a proven defensive tackle, but he's played in this league. He, he knows what the week-to-week grind is of the Southeastern Conference. And as OU works in the Haltons and the Stones and the Jacksons and some of these other characters that we're talking about, Again, I think what will be talked about the least as it relates to the situation is now what Dejean Terry means to OU and that program's overall success in the first year of SEC play.
0: Yeah, you're already probably leaning on it, but now you really need Dejean Terry to step into basically be your, your Isaiah Co. next year and like the go the guy in that room. And uh, it's going to be interesting to watch and spring camp is coming up in just a couple of weeks and uh, a lot of eyes will be on that room now. Uh, without Jacob Lacey, and like you kind of said earlier, he is a great guy. I mean, a couple times we got to talk to him, he was one of the most engaging guys on the team. Great dude. And uh, just, again, on the human level, sucks. Really sucks. Hopefully he takes care of himself and can, uh, you know, be healthy off the field doing doing something else. We know he'll he'll do great, whatever he, he chooses to do. Um, as far as other stuff that Brent vendel got into, there's a few other noteworthy injury things that I wanted to make sure we brought up. Gentry Williams is going to miss the spring. Uh, got surgery on his labrum uh, in his shoulder, which obviously the shoulder was bothering him all last year. Right now, the only thing that feels like he can hold Gentry Williams back is injuries. He's a great player. He's, he's made the most of pretty much every single time he's been able to be out there. But injuries have, have been a problem uh, for for Gentry, and he's going to miss spring. Hopefully he gets himself to 100%. Does he really need the spring? I feel like everybody probably needs it, but he's been around a while. You feel like if there's anybody who could you know, be okay there, it'd probably be him. So he's going to miss the spring. Kassal McCullough has missed the winter with a knee scope, but he is expected to be back for the spring. So that kind of stinks that he hasn't been around for, you know, Schmitty season in the winter, but if he's back for the spring and summer. He felt like he'll probably still take the progression that he needs to take. And then the other one was Justin Harrington's going to miss the spring as well. Not unexpected towards ACL last season. The unexpected thing is that he still has not heard back on his waiver, which is crazy to me. Like, what are we doing? It's almost, it's literally going to be March tomorrow. And Justin Harrington still doesn't know, technically, if he's going to be on this team next year. Now, they're confident OU is that he'll get it, but still, like, what is the holdup here? So they're still waiting on Justin Harrington. He won't be around for the spring, but we we still don't know technically on next year yet, although they are confident. So from those things, anything else that sticks out to you from from that little batch of injury notes? Uh, Obviously, not a lot of great news for OU fans to be excited about. Most injury updates
1: aren't, but quick hitters though because i do find them interesting so let's start with gentry williams to me this now reminds funny enough josh sometimes i think as weird as it sounds fans forget about the transfer players that were added into the program cuz like at some point mm-hmm. you know you know the big names but like in a class of let's say eight players you might know four off the top of your head I think that the Gentry Williams news now really piques my interest towards a player that I've been fascinated by since OU landed him in the portal, and that's Des John Malone, right? I, again, this guy is a six foot two, bona fide, 200 plus pound corner, giant size, planned, played at San Diego State, really quality program. Anyone who follows college football knows that San Diego State's calling card. Special teams and defense. Well, as we reported, yeah. they went they went and got special teams coordinator from San Diego State, and I then they that. went. I mean, funny, right? And then they went and got Des John Malone, who was their field corner at San Diego State for, I believe, a year or two. Des John Malone, man, Gentry Williams doesn't need the spring. He Des John Malone does, and mm-hmm. so now it's. I know it's corny, and I know some fans will roll the eyes because I'm kind of doing it myself. We always talk about, like, well, what doors does this open for other players or who who gets to learn, get more experience? Sure. And it's like, sh- sure. all right, you know, whatever. But John Malone, man, now has a real opportunity in front of himself as an experienced cornerback, potentially getting to earn more playing time going into the SEC season. <clears throat> Just on McCullough, I don't think this is a surprise to anybody. I think we all kind of know that even during the season, yeah, Desan was banged up. Like that guy has fought tooth and nail through a lot of kind of nagging injuries. Well deserved rest for him. I've I've got zero concern about Desan McCullough. And then Justin Harrington. I guess like after what the NCAA found out in that court ruling that basically they're <laughs> officially a fraud, they just threw their hands up and were like, well, we're just not gonna do our job anymore. Yeah, they haven't you know? been doing anything. Yeah. They've just kind of quit. Whatever. So if that's the case though, maybe just Justin Harrington can throw the pads on and tell them call my bluff type of thing. I don't know. But yeah, I, I assume this will get done relatively soon. I know the NCAA is navigating a lot of lawsuits right now so maybe the lawyers are worried about that but yeah I, I think justin harrington will have his situation settled sometime this spring hopefully
0: yeah I hope so because i mean obviously the most direct comparison that i can think and they weren't hurt this year so it's not a direct direct comparison but obviously alan bowman at oklahoma state their quarterback he got his waiver approved for a seventh year like when was it that was like december still i mean it was a long time ago so mm-hmm. it's crazy to me that Justin is still having to live in limbo. Um, again, their confidence is going to get it. I don't think there's a lot of fear that he won't. But still, you just you never know till you know. And the NCAA does goofy stuff, so you'd like to know for sure. Um, so hopefully, he can get some, um, you know, the decision soon. He can know what what he's working with moving into next year. And uh, yeah, to kind of tie up back with the cornerbacks conversation, just puts a bigger emphasis on the fact that Woody Washington is back. I mean that I mean that was already yes. huge anyway, and. But just with Gentry, you know, he's going to miss the spring. He's continuing to be banged up. You're, you're worried about his health. The fact that you have Woody makes you feel so much better about that room than if you didn't. If Woody wasn't here and he had moved on and Gentry Williams was missing the spring, you'd look at the cornerback room like, okay, question marks. Um, you feel a lot better about it with, with Woody there. So yeah. um, stuff to watch during spring, and that's coming up very, very soon. We're getting close. Like I said, March 1st is tomorrow, breaking news inside intel. March is tomorrow, and uh, it's uh, we're getting close. We're getting very, very close to seeing these guys, and uh, it's going to be fun and exciting coming up very, very soon. So shifting over to some recruiting stuff, we have our lead recruiting analyst, Colin Kennedy, here. He's been all over it uh, lately. If you're a VIP subscriber to Oklahoma at 247sports.com, Sooners Illustrated, you've been treated to a lot of notes over the last – I mean, obviously, ever since Colin took over, but especially in the last week or so. Um, a lot has been flying. Let's start with an update on C.J. Nixon, who you put in a pick for this week. We talked about C.J. Nixon before. Um, Weatherford Edge, I've actually had the pleasure of seeing him play both football and basketball over the last couple of years. Really talented player. I mean, he's our number one guy in Oklahoma in 2025. Our guy, number five edge in the class from 24-7 sports in 2025. Top 50 player. I mean, this is a, a big-time player. It's a stud. You feel good about where OU stands here dive into that a little bit as uh, Oklahoma tries to land an in-state kid who uh, is, again, a big-time player who has offers from basically everywhere.
1: Yeah, one of two new crystal balls I put in over the past few days, and both picks that I made were probably a little bit overdue. C.J. Nixon specifically, especially prior to the dead period when he visited Oklahoma for OU's junior day, Right around then was when I really started to feel like Oklahoma was going to be able to get this thing done. Now, OU's been in a solid spot, but as I kind of noted in the Crystal Ball article, Nixon is also someone who's just very quiet, kept to himself. He's not out there much. Kind of his recruitment relative to a player who's in the top 50 or so completely flies under the radar. But here we are. I think Oklahoma as we get ready for, I believe, the quiet period, which starts on Monday, which means recruits can start ironing out trips, I think this is going to be a few months stretch that really allows Oklahoma to gain more ground and eventually follow through with a potential securing of commitment. Now, what does that mean? Basically, what I think is that Oklahoma, the last visit, where Nixon was on campus, went so well, well enough that I think the next few times he gets on campus at Oklahoma, present an opportunity for OU to try and seal the deal. Now, there's still obviously Mm. work to be done, but a big reason why I put in the pick is because it just feels like Oklahoma's lead for an in-state prospect right now is really building. And when you factor in what's coming which again the 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 quiet period starts on monday which then means that recruiting in general is going to be back in the spotlight nationally it allows prospects to start seeing campuses again and I, i just every indicator that i have right now currently points towards cj nixon having ou as a leader and i i just think that oklahoma staff knows how to Get things done as it relates to in-state players, especially players at his position. So, going to be fun to watch CJ Nixon and his recruitment develop over the next few months. Spring and summer months are huge in recruiting, as we know. But I think CJ Nixon and Oklahoma still feel like a very realistic partnership.
0: Which is great news. Like I said, I've had the pleasure of seeing him. He's um, he's a he's a, he's a beast. He's a beast. He plays. You know, Weatherford's a four A program, so like many. Good players at the 4A level. He plays offense as well. He'll um, get out there and catch some passes. He's a big dude. You see these 4A cornerbacks and safeties try to handle him. It is not fun for them. Um, he's a good basketball player too. He's just an athlete. Just an overall athlete and uh, a guy you want to keep in state lines if you can. And uh, obviously Perron Colin Kendi. Oklahoma's in good shape to do that. You mentioned you put in a pick for him. You also put in a pick for Malik Hawkins, who, of course, <laughs> you fans I'm sure are very well aware. is the younger brother of Michael Hawkins down there in McKinney, Texas. Cornerback is uh, what he plays. So he's obviously a legacy as well with his father. Talk about him a little bit. And I don't think sure. we've really brought him up on the show that much. He may have come up in passing a couple of times. Like, it's hard to remember. But um, what kind of heat brings to the table and why you feel like Oklahoma's in good shape here? Obviously, it helps his brother's already there. I mean, there's, there's obvious connections. But how are you kind of feeling that like this is shaking out right now with, with him?
1: Yeah, look, the obvious. His dad played at Oklahoma. His older brother currently plays at Oklahoma, Mm -hmm. just enrolled as a quarterback. So the connections are in place. But I think the other thing with Malik Hawkins, the only real competitor as things stand today in Malik Hawkins' recruitment is Texas. It sounds like the Longhorns and Sooners are two programs at the forefront. And other programs are certainly monitoring. I think Texas A&M is hovering... I think Arkansas had been mentioned to me in the past. yeah. But in a battle between Oklahoma and Texas, as it relates to a Hawkins, I just feel like OU is going to be able to close this thing, especially if they can get Malik back on campus during the spring. Now, the other part of this equation, why I put in the pick, I think if you follow my reporting on Sooners Illustrated, and by the way, I would encourage you to subscribe because today's reset the board day. I'm literally going through position by position and explaining every position group in 2025 relative to spots, commits and targets before yeah. we hit the quiet period where all these kids start taking visits again. One of the things I kind of got into in the upcoming defensive back articles was that, oh, you can't really take a ton of kids as things stand right now in 2025. But they can be flexible if a player or recruit has versatility within a skill set. Because if you bring on a kid and he can kind of slide all over, all right, well, then he's not necessarily occupying one spot, if that makes sense. So I think Hawkins is kind of that type. I think he can play corner. Mm -hmm. I think he can play safety if he really needed to. I think he could play some cheetah. But, yeah, I just feel like given the connections, where this recruitment is, how it's shaping, and then the type of player that Malik is just makes a lot of sense for the Sooners, and I think long-term, it's, it's probably one that Oklahoma is very capable of winning. Makes sense. Makes sense. Certainly
0: look forward to, uh, you know, between you got the Bowens, you had the McCulloughs, Obviously, Day has uh, since transferred. We've talked about the possibility of maybe having the Robertses, um the brother thing we've we've been able to talk about the brother angle a lot the last <laughs> last few months and uh maybe the latest will be the hawkins brothers if they can bring bring malik in the sooner's illustrated podcast we'll be back after this short break Like we said, you've been out on the road. You were just out on the road this morning. You're going out on the road again later. You've been bouncing around, talking to coaches, talking to players. What are some other things that uh, you wanted to bring up again? You've had lots of VIP intel. I'm not going to ask you to bring it all up because that we'd be here here a while. Um, But some other things that you want to talk about on the show as you've been kind of bouncing around and talking, uh, getting out there on the road a little bit.
1: Yeah, that's why you subscribe, right? Because you get everything and then a little bit more. And then speaking of brothers – as it relates to Oklahoma and recruiting. So I've been out on the road and a school I'm going to this afternoon after we record a Cedar Hill down in the Dallas Fort worth Metroplex. And they have a group of triplets. <laughs> and oh, man. They go, they, they go six, five, three 65320, And I believe six one two ninety. the Coleman, the Coleman. Oh my stream. gosh. So the, the Jordan and debt, Jordan and Devin Coleman, I believe, are the two big six foot fivers that are over three hundred pounds. They're identical twins. Their third brother is not an identical, but Jordan and Devin Coleman are. Mm -hmm. Oklahoma offered both of them, so the brother thing's playing back into effect. More brothers yeah I'm really excited to go out there and see them because I've seen I've seen this group of, of Coleman's at camps down here in Dallas and they they're awesome Jordan specifically is he's an a kicker you know like he he whoops sure. and um I, I'm very excited to see them but I've been to a lot of other places was at Melissa this morning checked in with Oklahoma offensive line commit Owen Hollandbeck. He's obviously the center take for the Sooners in 2025. Great, great guy. Like, I, I've known Owen for a long time. It was cool seeing him. But a couple of things I wanted to fire off real quick. I went out and saw just down the street, not three minutes from my house, when saw Michael Fasusi, the five-star offensive tackle that every Oklahoma fan knows, whether you follow recruiting or not. Sure. Because he's that big of a name. Michael Michael's awesome. I'm, I'm pulling for him hard. He's one of those kids that you get to know and you're just like, man, I I really hope it works out for him. And it will. I mean, he's 6'5", 305 pounds and dunking dodgeballs in his free time. It's just hilarious to watch him. If you haven't seen the, uh, the dodgeball video that I put out, Michael Fasusi is throwing dodgeballs like Derek Jeter at 305 pounds. <laughs> and I literally... I tweeted it, and I, I kid you not, I had some coaches at the high school and college level text me the video and be like, this is insane. <laughs> they were all they were obsessed. Anyways, um, Michael getting ready to take a ton of visits once things open back up on Monday. And Josh, I think this one's going to be a battle, man, because we know Oklahoma's positioned itself very well in this recruitment, as has Texas. I think that the Longhorns and the Sooners are right up at the top, and I think Texas might be taking a little bit of a lead going into the spring visit period. He will visit both. And then one thing that has come to my attention and why I wanted to bring this up, as it relates to Michael Fasusi, Lamont Rogers, who's another offensive tackle down here in DFW, I'm going to go see him probably Monday or Wednesday next week. Missouri is starting to come on strong in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, folks. And like I know Oklahoma fans aren't going to want to hear that. It's my job as an objective media member to report this. Missouri has started to apply a ton of pressure on offensive linemen down in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, and I believe in the South Central in general. And both Michael Fasusi and Lamont Rogers are starting to bring up Missouri on their own. So... You've got the other names, right? Oregon is in there. I believe Fasusi is going to visit LSU, AM. I believe the same can be said for Lamont Rogers as well. But Fasusi specifically, it still always kind of felt like a, a Red River battle between Oklahoma and Texas for the elite offensive tackle at Louisville. But keep an eye on a sleeper like Mizzou because it's clear in talking to Michael both on and off the record that Eli Drinkowitz and Brandon Jones have really prioritized him. And then I thought it was kind of cool real quick, wrapping it up on Michael Susie. He mentioned that it was really cool to talk to Phil Lodeholt, who left Oklahoma for the offensive line job at Colorado. Uh, and people forget Phil Lodeholt was going to go with Jeff Levy to Mississippi State and then actually found his way to the on-field offensive line coach at right. Colorado. Now Phil Lodeholt, I believe, has helped Colorado – iron out a visit for Fasusi, which is big for them. So going to be a big recruitment, obviously, but I think these next few months are massive. And he did give us an update on his timeline. So if you're a subscriber, you know what the deal is. Mm -hmm. Um, Outside of that, though, I think another guy I wanted to talk about, I haven't been able to go out and see him, but in talking to sources and I posted a article Kobe Sellers is another one that's going to be fascinating to follow over the next few months as things open up. By the time, again, that we talk next Thursday, recruiting and visiting is going to be opening back up. By the way, I've posted a couple of official visitors that have already secured their trips to OU on the board. But Kobe Sellers, to me, is one that once things open up on Monday, I think some fans of Oklahoma maybe thought that because a lot of picks flew in, including one for myself, that OU was the runaway favorite. Texas has really made things interesting as we prepare for the opening of the quiet period. And so I think that Oklahoma built that lead. It was a promising lead. Mm. But now here come the Longhorns and We're preparing for a spring into the summer where I think Oklahoma is going to have to battle most namely of them all Texas, maybe a Missouri, and probably like an Oregon or an LSU for a lot of prospects in this area. And depending on how these next few months go, I think either Oklahoma's class looks exactly the way it wants it to, or it looks drastically different. So the stakes are incredibly high as we prepare for the spring period. A lot happening, lot of reasons, like we've
0: said a couple times to become a VIP subscriber. Oklahoma 27 247 Sports.com. Been a lot of VIP intel from Colin and VIP analysis as well from uh Tom, who's been getting on at spring campus approaching. It's the be- it is the perfect time. If you're you have not done it before, you jump in, be along for the ride throughout the spring, into the summer, the busy months, and then the season will be here. Like I said before you know already, but it's about to be March. I mean, we're getting It's kind of sneaky close. Media days. The media days schedule came out today, which is a great sign that we're getting close. By the way, Oklahoma going to go with Missouri. That should be contentious. Georgia and Tennessee. uh, That's like their little quadrant on the second day of SEC media days, July sixteenth. I think it is. Uh, Look forward to that. We're getting close. We're getting somewhere. Spring ball starting soon. Jump aboard for the ride, Sooners Illustrated, oklahoma247sports.com. You're going to come to SEC Media Days, right? It's right here. It's, it's two feet from you. It's at the Omni in Dallas. Certainly, you're going to be there.
2: Yeah, yeah. I
1: will be there, 100%. Oh, yeah. It's so.
0: going to be a zoo. I'm looking forward to it. Never been before. Tom, obviously, he covered Auburn for a long time. They actually went last year for us. Um, so he'll be kind of – I'll be leaning on him. He was leaning on me a little bit last year, Big 12 Media Days, which I had been to a bunch of times. Now he gets to return the favor, and I get to lean on him because it's a whole new world. And uh, going, I don't know. I'm a little. I'm a little. It can be a little intimidating, I think, at
1: first. But we'll we'll
0: figure it out. It'll be all right.
2: I
1: was hoping it would be back in Nashville, but now that it's down the street, I'm like, okay. Like it was really it nice was, if I weren't there.
0: So, yeah, it was really nice of uh, Greg Sankey to make it real nice and convenient for us and put it right right in Dallas. Uh, that that was nice of them to to do that. So look forward. It's to that like all
1: time. those. All those OU and Texas media members are going to be so overwhelmed. We might as well put it in the backyard for them. You know, one less
0: variable right. for them to deal with. Right. And the big tall media days moved to Vegas, which is
1: insanity. I, I hate bad. that. I hate that. I don't that. even <laughs> I don't know and how that so – yeah. Objectively terrible decision, but neither here nor there.
0: That's – uh, I don't know how I would handle that, and uh, I don't have to because we're not going anymore, so – Looking forward to that. So good times ahead. Football ramping up more and more. And more. Do make sure we get into some hoops uh, on the back end of the show here. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll rip the bandit off with the men's game. Then we'll talk about the fun stuff with the women's game um, to end. The, the men's game was gross. I mean, they lost Iowa State last night, fifty-eight to forty-five in Ames. Uh, yes, you you heard that correctly, forty-five. Um, they couldn't score. I mean, it's just, simply put, they couldn't score. Their defense was pretty good. They played with nice intensity. They. That's what kept them in it for a long time. This was still a 10-point game with, like, five-ish minutes left. Like, kind of still in it, but not really because they just they couldn't score. Nobody broke double figures last night. Nobody. Rivaldo Suarez was the high man with nine. Um, who also, he went to the starting lineup last night, too. They've moved Ortega O to the bench, put Rivaldo Suarez into the starting five. First lineup change of the entire season. Game 28, first time we had a different lineup. And, um you could just tell Port Mills was just trying something because he knew it was going to be tough. I mean, without John Hugley in Ames, the way that team's been playing. Because they beat Iowa State the first time way back on January 6th. They scored 71 points in Norman. But Iowa State's just a different team since then. I mean, that day, Iowa State was unranked. OU was 11. And now last night, OU was unranked. Iowa State was 8. It shows you how much the teams change and how things kind of fluctuate over the course of the season. The loss doesn't really do much for me, uh, to be totally honest. That Bedlam win bought them cushion. They only need, in my opinion, probably one more win to lock this thing up. And maybe not even that, but I think one more win and you're in. That game last night doesn't hurt their resume in the slightest. You go lose on the road to a top 10 team, that's not going to hurt your your net ranking. Not, nothing. Your your resume gets impacted minimally. I mean, very, very slight, if, if anything. So it is what it is. The attention now obviously turns to Houston Saturday night. Number one, Kelvin Sampson's return. It's going to be crazy. I'm very excited to be there on Saturday night. Um, but yeah, CK, I mean, I you were kind of in agreement. I mean, you lose to a top ten team on the road. It was ugly. I'm not going to say it wasn't ugly, but that was a loss that was extremely expected.
1: We'll put it that. We'll put it that. Uh, way. Hilton, Hilton Magic, right? Like you don't go yeah. into the Coliseum and beat Iowa State. Almost at all. And especially a team like you mentioned that skyrocketed into a top 10 position. Like, I would say, if anything, you correct me if I'm wrong, just as a casual observer, it probably is a little disheartening that you make what's probably an overdue move and make the switch with OA. And then all of a sudden, like, you're still struggling to have someone score 10 points. But the loss itself was an expected one. And moving forward, Houston's going to be brutal, like that. That, <laughs> yeah that that's not getting any easier. The way they can just you, right? But you know, sometimes in college basketball, losses are what they are. So, yeah, I'm I'm excited though. Like, I, I'm going to try and tune in for the Houston game. I watched a few minutes of the Iowa State game and turned it off immediately. I was like, I know how this is going to go. <laughs> And it turns out I was right. But, I mean, I I think that the return of Kelvin is going to be really cool. And I I love watching Houston basketball when I can. It's one of my favorite programs. When I'm actually sitting down watching a college basketball game, and I'll tell you this too, you know, people forget that when Porter got hired, some of the other names that were mentioned for the job before they pivoted and got Porter Moser out of the blue, Grant McCaslin and Kellan. Samson yeah so right the Samsons right. coming to Oklahoma is quite the storyline it'll be it'll be really fun to watch on Saturday
0: yeah I'm really forward to it and you know Kelvin Sampson just earlier today at like his press conference before before the game we'll talk to Porter uh tomorrow Friday before the game on Saturday um and Kelvin said you know straight up it's not a normal game and I appreciate the honesty because it's not I mean he he was a coach here a long time I mean about 10 years 11 years I think it's been 20 years since his his tenure ended the way it did. Everybody knows, and it's going to be wild to have him come back in here. Uh, it's going to be a scene, and I'm very curious to see how OU handles it. From a like, do they play a video for things? I, I think they probably will. Um, OU usually handles these things very well, and that's yes. that's Joe Ciglione uh, doing doing a great job with these types of things. And so it's going to be it's going to be crazy, and I don't think OU has no shot because it's at home. But they're gonna to have to play probably their best game of the year. Um, Houston is number one for a reason. Their defense is insane. Um, Jamal Shedd is a beast, and they added LJ Cryer, you know. I mean, they're they're good. I mean, they are really, not, it goes and, saying, they're really
1: good. And not having John for a game like this just feels like a yeah massive uphill battle, right? Yeah. so and they're still hoping that Hughley can come back. Seems like asking a
0: lot. He had knee surgery last week, but they still, they've been saying they think he can maybe make it back. He was actually in Ames last night, like in uniform. Now, he wasn't like, there was no way he was going to play, but he was there. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. But yeah, it's, uh, you win this game on Saturday, that's the best win the Port of Missouri by far. And even with that Alabama win last year, I think you'd have to say this would be the best win by far. And 100%.
1: 100%. And you're in the
0: tournament. You're in the tournament. It's done. You're in the tournament. So, we'll see what happens on Saturday. It should be a, a packed house and uh, should be fun. Saturday night, 7 p.m. tip on Saturday. Look forward to it. As for the women, what a game last night. Um, James was there, so I kind of wish he was with us right now. But they beat Texas. uh, Texas number three coming in. They swept Texas. Um, They beat them the first time, you know, last month. They won the Big 12. Uh, If you didn't see the game or the end of the game, Lexi Keys hit a three-pointer with, like, five seconds-ish left to take the lead to win the game. They won the Big 12 for the second straight year. They went back-to-back Big 12 champs. This is a team that lost to Southern in late December. Who was, I think, one and nine at the time. And as Jenny Brochek said in her postgame yesterday, which is on our YouTube channel, James videoed it. Um, she's great. Jenny Brochek's awesome. And she said yesterday, a lot of people wrote this team off in December. And people say that all the time. You get like the Chiefs win the Super Bowl and be like, nobody believed in us. Georgia wins the Natty. Nobody this, this is real. This was true. I mean, and I'm guilty of it. When they lost to Southern, it was this was going to be a rough year, and this is not going to go well. And they literally won the Big 12. Um, Unbelievable. They probably are going to host NCAA tournament games because, again, in the women's tournament, if you're a top four seed, you host the first two rounds. I don't know how they couldn't be a top four seed. You won the Big 12. So um, unbelievable, unbelievable game. JV McComb, Alexa Keys, both with, like, iconic shots within a few days of each other, which is cool. I mean, what can you say? I mean, Jenny Bronchek is an absolute – I mean, give her – Give her all the money that you can. Uh, you got to keep her as long yeah, as you can because it's it's unbelievable what the job she's
1: done. Unbelievable, Jenny B. Jenny from the block. I don't know if we have that nickname floating around there, but she is <laughs> she is. Look, it's hard to be the best head coach on OU's campus right now when Patty Gasso is hanging yeah. out. But Jenny, she might be up there considering what she accomplished. You know, people forget she. Took over for Sherry Cole, who was basically a legend by the time she stepped down. And Jenny has created her own legacy. And mm-hmm. I'll tell you this: like, first of all, the soundbite from Jenny Baronchek before the game. Yeah. She was uh-huh. talking about, like it's so cool. I really hope that Oklahoma fans are able to go find this bit. Because it's on the, it, our
0: YouTube channel, the full presser is so
1: okay. So, go. I would encourage you to go to the our very question. last question. Yeah, the very last question she's basically asked about fans coming to the game, and her whole thing was like, I don't want fans coming to this game because it's the Texas game or the Big 12 championship game or what have you. She basically went on this whole speech about how she wants fans to come support the women's basketball team because of the program that they're building on and off the floor and like yeah. how they sort of defied the odds and along the way have connected with the community and sort of built their own type of aura on OU's campus. And she is a 100% right. Like you mentioned, they defied the odds. And it's funny to me, cause like you're sitting there and you, like, like for someone like me, right? Who I live about three hours away from campus. I can't keep up with every sport, especially in the world of recruiting. You know, I had people tell me, like, "Oh, OU women's basketball might be pretty bad. And me sitting at home, I'm like, well, I believe all these people, but also, like, Jenny's probably a really good coach. She might figure some things Mm -hmm. out. They won't be terrible, surely. Lo and behold, they win the regular season title in the Big 12 Championship. And OU women's basketball right now is one of the best programs on campus. And that's a testament to those players. That's a testament, of course, to Jenny Baronchek, who has become just – Truly, one of the most integral parts of OU's athletic department right now. Yeah, no, I tweeted
0: it last night. But between Patty Gasso, Jane Bronchek, and then KJ Kindler, I mean, just a monopoly on on women's sports head coaches. It's it's crazy. You you arguably you really have, I mean, Patty Gasso, I think, undisputably, and then KJ Kindler, undisputably, and Jane Bronchek's making a run. But the best in their sport, um, yeah, it's unbelievable the job that she did. It, it's it's really hard to fathom the. The run through Big 12 play, it's unbelievable. Because I said this with James on Tuesday before the game. It was like, it feels like, it felt like, it was like, wow, look at this hot streak. And it's like, hot streaks are not two months. That That's just, you're good. And um, unbelievable. They have one more Big 12 game this weekend against Kansas. They already won the Big 12. They locked it up. Um, and then they'll head into the Big 12 tournament. And the postseason from there will be fun to watch, see how far they can go. Because um, who knows? I mean, under under Jenny, it feels like anything is, anything is possible. So um fun team really fun team so we'll see what they do this weekend and into the postseason congrats to them on uh, back-to-back big 12 titles on the way out going to the sec next year pretty cool i think that's it be back next week uh planning for monday hopefully with uh tom and james and we'll recap the weekends for hoops we'll continue our stash report series uh i believe we're doing defensive ends linebackers next monday so we'll break that down a little bit for you like i said recap the weekend for hoops Spring football is getting rapidly close. Um, I think we're just about another week and a half or so away from getting it going. So looking forward to that. We'll continue to set the stage for it. And then Colin will be back with us next Thursday for all the latest on the recruiting side and uh, everything else that you can come to expect from uh, the Sooners Illustrated podcast. So CK, good catching up. Safe travels driving around, hitting, uh, hitting the various spots. And we'll catch up with you next week, man.
1: All right, we'll do it next week.
0: Absolutely. All right, that's it. For Colin Kendi, I'm Josh Calloway. We'll sign
1: off for now. We'll catch you guys next time on the Sooners Illustrated Podcast.